Welcome to the AIA Buzzworthy Analytics Podcast, where we provide an update on economic indicators and discuss the data-driven look ahead. A lot of disruptions due to COVID, and the situation was exacerbated uh, with uh, the winter storm URI, and even more so with the uh, blockage of the, you know, with the ship in the Suez Canal. And so we're starting to see uh, due to the supply chain disruptions, an inflation in a lot of commodity prices. Yeah, Ben, it, it's interesting. So we, we, if we look at the consumer price index or, or other measures of inflation, we're not seeing uh, huge increases yet. Uh, I think Juliana was just saying up half a percent. Is that over year on year? Yeah, so year over year, it's up 0.6%, which is not a significant increase considering the long period of deflation that we've been seeing. Right, right. And so I guess the question is, why is everyone worried about it or talking about it now? And it's some of those things you just alluded to, Ben. So, you know, the the uh, the global changes that we've seen. So you've got e-commerce driving more more shipping traffic. Uh, and... Uh, Conversely, you know, while, while the import demand has really increased in the U.S., as we've seen a lot of demand for all sorts of products that come on container ships, uh, the, the pandemic has also greatly reduced the flow of traffic back to China. And, and so we've created a huge imbalance in shipping containers, and that's actually been a big component of this big supply chain disruption that we've seen worldwide. Uh, just some random statistics to throw out there. The Port of Houston... Uh, they, they show container imports were up 32% year over year uh, as of March. And uh, we've, we've seen freight rates from China to the U.S. surging, something like 300% higher going from, from March to, to January, uh, when I, from which the, the article I took. Uh, so, you know, we, we've seen that China has taken some steps to, to rapid, uh, rapidly increase manufacturing of containers. But most of the analysts that are out there expect that you're not going to see much of a change, uh, at least until we get into the summer. So the shipping shortage has been one big piece of this, this uh, supply chain disruption that's driving up prices. And, and we're seeing prices driven up across the board. It's, a, it's kind of a commodities boom that we haven't seen for, for at least a decade. Uh, just to throw some numbers out there, the, the Bloomberg Commodity Index, which is kind of a broad-based uh, uh, average of different commodity prices, it's up 47% uh, year on year, and it's made up of different things, but, but there are some extreme cases. Uh, we see crude oil, WTI, up 92% on the year. Copper is up 82%. This is some 10-year type highs. Uh, corn up 75%, again, nine-year highs. And then we have commodities like soybeans up 80% to all-time high prices, and lumber taking the cake. Uh, the numbers I saw as of this morning was up 111%. Uh, and it's, again, cresting to the uh, uh, highest levels ever. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about some of these commodities. Uh, but before we talk about some of these commodities, let's get deeper into some of these issues. I know it all started with the pandemic, where um, I remember reading articles where we couldn't get people to work because they were trying to avoid from uh, getting COVID. And then, so that created a shortage in some labor. Um, and then, um, so, it was, and, and it seems like it's getting harder because you have an increase in manufacturing due to an increase in demand and you have a, a problem in getting people back uh, or skilled labor back to, to work. Um, so that, that's part of the issue, but a lot of the other supply disruptions caused 
by the other issues that we've already mentioned, uh, it's just sort of exacerbated the, um, the problem. And so, um, but let's, let's, let's talk about some of the, um, uh, commodities like, like lumber. So can you add a little bit of color as to why, what is the issue with the shipping containers? Can you add a little bit of color, tell the story about why we're having this massive issue around shipping containers? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, to start with, uh, there was this sort of um, imbalance created because there's a demand in the West, in the U.S. in particular, uh, for a lot of goods that come out of China. Uh, but again, during the pandemic, at the same time, the the, um, the flow of goods back into China was greatly slowed down because so much economic activity here in the U.S. was slowing down. So this is basically kind of consumer demand in the U.S. and not, uh, uh, not manufacturing send-outs going the other way. So that's part of the imbalance. Uh, part of the supply chain disruption is also because, again, due to the pandemic, you had uh, not only record imports coming in, but uh, reduced workforces to deal with all of that problem. And so as a consequence, you've got containers just piling up at the ports, and, and there's a shortage of dock workers there, there's a shortage of truck drivers to get those containers to their ultimate destinations. And so it's just creating this, this kind of slowdown in the whole uh, process. So does it become worth it to ship back empties? I mean, is it, what is the, what are the economics there? Well, I think that's part of the, the reason that the freight rates have gone up so much is that they are having to ship back empties. And, and so instead of subsidizing the cost of that return shipping, uh, instead of subsidizing the cost of that return shipping by sending products over to China, uh, we're instead just having to just foot the cost entirely just on the, uh, uh, on the goods that we're bringing over. Now, I know that uh, we've mentioned the pandemic and COVID, but let's go to the winter storm and its impacts on supply chain issues. I know that the winter storm, you had some uh, factories that shut down, um, and I think the big one that we saw was the Samsung factory in Austin, and that created a ship shortage. And so now it's having a domino effect on automobile um, production. And so we've had some of our major car companies here in the U.S. reduce production, which is going to cause uh, an increase because we still have, surprisingly, uh, demand in, in vehicle sales. Uh, vehicle sales are still pretty healthy uh, relative to, um, to last year and the year before. Um, so with that, uh, it's going to cause some, probably um, some higher prices for some vehicles uh, in the near term. Do you guys have any uh, opinions on that? Yeah, I mean, the winter storm really uh, stalled, I think, much of the, you know, economic progress, especially here in the States. Uh, in addition, yeah, the chip shortage has idled a lot of automotive plants, but at the same time, you're also having a mixed bag of, uh, you know, demand for a lot of uh, components that go into automotive, um, you know, automotive products and whatnot. And, you know, the winter storm knocked out large uh, capacities uh, within the U.S. Gulf region for refining. I think Pad 3 about the week after that storm had moved through was about 46%, according to the EIA. So you can, you can definitely see if half of your capacities are offline in that, uh, in that period of time, then it's going to severely weigh in on um, a lot of the downstream components that are going into automotive and all these other products. Then. So I think there's been a lot of like asymmetric 
sort of return of demand, um, really outpacing supply right now. I think uh, the vaccine rollout has played a large part, a, a large part to that too. Uh, we weren't expecting, I guess, the high numbers that we had, and that's just really accelerating uh, demand per, you know, even per capita. It seems like. Uh, yeah. What do you all think is the, the the next step on this? Does this continue to be growth and growth and growth as as there's more and more demand as the world gets back to normal, or uh, are we relatively quickly going to get back to where we were before and then just stop? In terms of consumer demand, mm-hmm. you're t- I um, thinking, and, and I'm going off of some articles written by some economists who are covering the same things, and so just to uh, repeat with what what they've said is that they expect supply to eventually catch up, and so then you'll eventually reach an equilibrium. Um, demand is strong for a lot of products because of some uh, stimulus measures uh, by the new administration, but we also have demand very strong for uh, specific items like uh, housing. We have a shortage of new homes, uh, also due to a shortage of lumber, and uh, in some to some degree maybe a shortage of some skilled labor. But and so it's also put an increase for demand for existing homes because of that. And so now you have existing homes uh, prices prices surging to um, probably to near record levels. Um, and all this is all part of the uh, supply demand, um, supply chain disruptions. I think it's interesting as well, and, and to your question, um, it, we've seen a seismic shift in how we buy and also in what we buy through the coronavirus pandemic. And so I think as we catch up to these trends or we um, we start to fulfill those needs that we've all you know, figured out, be that in more office, home office equipment or um, different technologies or, I mean, there's lots of surges in gardening things and, and home updates. And, and as we start to fill those needs and we, we realize those shifts in those spending trends, I think there is a point in which we um, catch up and our spending slows. Yeah. yeah. I guess another piece of this that Part of the reason this all got fueled in the first place was, uh, you know, we stopped spending money because we couldn't go out, and we also uh, collectively received a lot of government stimulus, and and that money is now just kind of sitting there waiting to, to find a use, and I think that's that's a big piece behind a lot of this, this surge in demand that we're seeing right now, and presumably we won't have continued rounds of stimulus after stimulus, and people will kind of get back to work and to what they're normally doing. So yeah, so I, I, I would expect also that within, I don't know, months to a year that we are kind of equilibrating to a new, a new normal on that. So on the commodities that have spiked, can you talk a little bit about why, why they've spiked, what we've seen? So going down your list, you know, why is oil up 92%? Well, oil is a funny one because it, it you know, we, you often see this when people quote statistics because they say, oh, it's up 92% year. Yeah. So oil is a funny one because uh, with a lot of these these statistics that we see, when we see a huge incremental growth over a time period, like 92% over the last year, we're, we're forgetting the fact or ignoring the fact that that's after oil had a historic plunge within about a month uh, in, in March of last year. And, and so, 
Yes, it's rebounded very strongly, but it's still trading in the $62-ish range, which is really not that different than it was trading before the pandemic began. And so uh, in, in the special case of WTI, I think we're seeing just more of a return to normal rather than some, some underlying surge in demand. Uh, the same cannot be said for some of these other commodities, though. Uh, in particular, if you look at, at copper, uh, one of the trends that we're seeing now is the electric electrification of all things and kind of the, the expansion of things that require a lot of conductors. And copper, uh, then, is, is really uh, surging on the back of this, this uh, race towards electrifying everything. Um, corn and soybeans, I, I actually don't have quite the expertise on those, but my guess is that uh, we're, we're seeing a rebound in demand, not just in, in U.S. markets, but this longer-term trend of uh, the globe catching up to U.S. consumption habits. Uh, eating a lot more uh, meat, and 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 the way we feed our meat is by feeding them corn and soybeans. Additionally, on the corn markets, it's important to, to mention ethanol. And when gasoline consumption goes way down, uh, there's a reduced need for ethanol to for fuel blends. So that that does play a big part in the uh, the corn market there. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, both corn and soybeans uh, that you can make renewable fuels out of. Yeah, and I think a lot of the gasoline demand is really pivoting a lot of that. I mean, if everyone remembers about a year ago, you know, we were seeing Arbob gasoline trading at probably, what, 70 to 80 cents a gallon. Now that's crept up all the way past $2, and we're starting to see that at the pump. Uh, you know, retail prices here in Houston are probably, what, 250 to $3 a gallon in some, um, in some areas. And so a lot of that's fueling, you know, demand as well. And, you know, I think a lot of that, too, is just the... Uh, you know, the sort of the pinup demand from 2020 is just starting to manifest now with a lot of the uh, motorists and increases to discretionary travel that are playing into the mix. So, and uh, stock stock levels are uh, starting to be uh, at normal when or this time last year when you had a pretty much a stop in um, demand for transportation fuels. Uh, storage was a big a big key. You had a store or you had to stop producing it. And so you had refining uh, utilization rates uh, plummet to its lowest levels, um, historic levels. But now with the higher, higher margins due to uh, higher gasoline prices, uh, now it's going to incentivize more production. And you still have his, uh, in inventory changes or, sorry, inventory levels that are still... Uh, at around average, when this time last year they were way, way above average. So we're starting to, um, the market is starting to fix itself. So I wouldn't say so much inflation, it's just getting back to, to normalcy within the uh, the oil and gas industry. But going back to uh, metals, I know, Stephen, you mentioned copper, but one that we didn't mention is probably the, the biggest one, is the steel market. Uh, prices are at way above uh, cost of producing. And this um, just happens to be around the same time where we're, we're seeing inflation with everything else. But this was um, due to a lot of closures during the pandemic when you had the cost of steel below uh, cost of production. And so there had to be some closures. And now because of the closures, now you just have a big spike in prices as we're starting to open up the economy and build again. So is that, are we seeing um, building trends have an impact on that lumber number as well? That 111% increase, what is that, what's that, oh not 100, yeah, 
Lumber is up 111%. So is that due to building trends or is that due to some other factors? No, absolutely. It's the it's demand driven. This isn't a, a, a supply issue. This is this this exploding demand for, for housing uh, in the U.S. Okay. Well, let's uh, talk about, and, and this is great. Um, this is, you know, I think we cover a lot of the main commodities, but let's go, let's, let's have a little fun here. Um, I saw an article about inflation in boba tea prices. So, well, so going back to it, yes. So there is, uh, of all of these other things that we're having shortages of and a lot of these supply changes, um, one of them that's high on the list and, and high on my list, <laughs> things that are impacting my life, uh, there is a boba shortage. And uh, NPR says that it could potentially stretch into summer. Um, and so this is a, you know, of the long list of pandemic shortages, you know, we had toilet paper, we had hand sanitizer, and now boba tea. So uh, it's a shortage of boba, according to NPR, it's a shortage of boba, the dark chewy pearls made of tapioca that are typically found in the tea-based beverage. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, it's blamed on the coronavirus pandemic and, um, trying to find out where this had where what what is boba tea is it it's it, i know it originated in taiwan in the 1980s and it first came in the u.s through asian american communities wow you just knew that off the top of your head <laughs> but i but now tea shops and boba fans are uh, are everywhere and they face a shortage of ingredients needed to make boba and other parts of, of the popular drink yeah, so it's tapioca pearls. You got it. You got it. Um, so one of the vice presidents of Boba Direct said the scarcity had been brewing for months due to a logistical issue affecting many industries. And that was exactly what we had started this conversation with. It's that there were too many shipments from Asia and not enough processing capacity to get them into the U.S. So we're seeing it. We're just seeing it across the whole slate of products that these supply issues are, are having an impact so let's get that fixed because I need my boba. Yeah, so according to this article on NPR, which is what I was uh, reading from, um, so they say, so what I hear from freight forwarders and the trucking industry is we all need help. We need additional workers. And so they're attributing the high cost of boba to a lack of dock, dock workers at the ports and a shortage of drivers. You know, just as an aside, I often wonder how they make the decision. On, so you're shipping, you're shipping things in containers, and anything can go into a container, right? But some things are more valuable than others. So when things get tight like they are now, how is it that – who decides what gets cut and what doesn't? It's in a way miraculous to me that any boba is making it over because it seems like so many other things would be higher on the priority list, uh, except for Juliana's. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> If I had my way. You know, to add into that too, you know, um, Southeast Asia actually experienced quite a cold snap uh, Q4 of last year. And so that actually drove a lot of the LNG demand globally to be sent over to um, a lot of the ports there because of a lack of, uh, you know, just lack of energy commodities in the region. Uh, normally you get the Middle East and Australia supporting a lot of that demand into Southeast Asia. But this time around, you just saw a massive influx uh, Q4 and Q1 of this year. And so, you know, it's, um, it's, it's really interesting to see from that perspective, just how squeezed even, you know, the, the main shipping routes were throw the Suez canal issue into the mix. And then you've just got, 
you know, just this triaging of different shipments coming through the, you know, <laughs> coming through the different ports and whatever else. I mean, if, I mean, looking even at, I think some of the China Max vessel rates coming out of China about two months ago was about $300,000 a day, something just wow. ab- astronomically large, just because they wanted to move all the more necessary items coming out of those production centers in Southeast Asia um, already on the heels of, you know, increased LNG imports. So, yeah, I think you just pointed us towards the solution. We just need to stick containers on those LNG ships yeah. and everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what if that's the next business model? <laughs> you know, for Let's them. get started. Yeah. <laughs> this has been the AIA Buzzworthy Analytics Podcast. Thank you guys for joining us and be sure to tune in next month when we cover the same stuff plus some extra fun stuff. Yes! <laughs> <laughs>